This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. God in heaven, I just want to praise you for the work that you've done in hearts. And I want to praise you for letting us be a part of your harvest work. God, it's our desire to submit to you and to humble ourselves under your hand. We've got nothing, Lord, but you have everything. And God, we just present ourselves as tools for you to use as you see fit. And I'd like to ask even here this morning that you'd fill me with your spirit and that you'd help me communicate the burden that's on your heart for this service, for this time, and for these folks. God, I know what you've been doing in my heart regarding this this matter. And I pray that you'd help me in the time that I've got to be able to adequately communicate the burden of your heart. And I pray that you'd fill me and use me here now. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, throughout history, people have been trying to cheat death. I've got a few examples from history I found interesting. According to legend, Gilgamesh tried to cheat death by earning immortality. But if you know the story, uh, he failed ultimately, and he died a normal death. The first emperor of China, uh, Qin Shi Huang, tried to cheat death by banning the word death. That's an interesting thought. And he also tried to cheat death by drinking an elixir of mercury. Um, Ironically, the elixir killed him. (laughs) Uh, Pope Innocent VIII thought that he could cheat death by injecting his body with the blood of children. Isn't that nasty? But he died anyway. Hungarian Countess Elizabeth Bathory took baths in the blood of murdered virgins to cheat death and to keep her skin silky smooth. She may have had silky smooth skin, but she died just like any other human. Nazi leader Heinrich Himmler, he tried to cheat death by searching for the Holy Grail, but he never found it, and he ended up killing himself with a cyanide pill. Today in our society, in our world, the transhumanism movement is endeavoring to cheat death by modifying man's genetic code or by augmenting or replacing their bodies with technology. But I'm going to make a little prediction here tonight. I believe that every last one of them will die just like every other human in history has also died. You know, humanity hates death, and they do everything they can to avoid it. But you know, I know another group of people who also hates death with a similar passion, and that group of people is Christians. Because you see, when Christians are confronted with an opportunity to follow Jesus to one's death, they recoil. They dig their heels in, they hold back, and they do everything they can to avoid it. And I'll tell you why. Because Christians oftentimes don't really believe their Bibles. 
You see, Jesus had a different perspective when it comes to death that you and I can often have, and we find that perspective here in this passage, John chapter 12, verses 24 and following. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and, what's that next word? Die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. You see, Jesus had a different perspective about death. He knew that his death, as verse 24 is speaking about, he knew that his death was the means to eternal life. But he knew far more than that. He also knew, as we're going to see in the following verses, that our death, our death is the path to abundant life. You see, the pursuit of Jesus, as I would believe every one of us are endeavoring to pursue every day of our lives, we must understand that the pursuit of Jesus is a pursuit of death. But that death is not the end of the road. That death will result in supernatural life. I think most of us here in this room want to experience the life of Jesus Christ, do we not? I think each one of us here in this room, we want to live the abundant life. We want to see the supernatural fruit born in our lives and in our ministries. But I want you to know before you experience that supernatural life, first, you're going to have to die. You're going to have to die. I've got three aspects of death that I want to focus on here this evening. The first two are from other texts, which we're not going to look at for sake of time. The third, we're going to come back to this text here this morning to examine what Jesus said to his disciples. In context, you know, when it comes to the matter of death and putting things to death for the sake of life, I cannot help but think of Joshua chapter 7 and the story of Joshua and Achan. There in that situation, God had given the children of Israel marching orders to enter into the promised land and to take over the cities there because God was going to give them that land. The very first city that they encountered in the land, the city of Jericho, God said, This battle is special. Do not touch the spoil. The spoil is devoted to destruction, but one man in the army, one man named Achan, disobeyed God's instructions. He did not find it important to obey God's specific commands. He went in and he took of the spoil of the battle, and because of that, the children of Israel became accursed. God said, I will not be with you anymore until you take the accursed from among you, and they as a nation, Joshua as a leader, had a decision. Will we tolerate the sin in our midst and the offender, or will we put it to death? And I want you to know, if you want to experience the supernatural life that Jesus saved us to experience, we must put our sins to death. Oftentimes there are things that we don't think are that big of a deal in our lives, things that God has said no to, areas where God has forbidden us of partaking in, and we, instead of listening to what Jesus says and what the Word of God teaches, 
We tolerate the Achans in our midst. In fact, we hide them. We enjoy them. But God is saying, listen, I believe through that story, if you want to experience the victory that he designed you to experience, you must be willing to put your sins to death. Listen, there are some things in our lives that if we do not put them to death, they'll kill us. They'll kill us. Perhaps I'm talking to an individual here in this room that's got a drinking habit in the sign. Maybe there's someone here, they've got some habit that they know full well is off limits as far as God is concerned. Perhaps as I talked about with the teens last night, there's a habit of looking at a woman to lust after them. Perhaps there might be some here in this room that are using their monies in ways that God has forbidden to do things that God has forbidden them to do. And I wish I had more time to develop this, but friends, I do believe that as I speak here this morning, morning there may well be some in this room there have been areas of compromise in your heart and in your life that you full well know are wrong and you want victory and you want the abundant life but I want you to know as long as you tolerate those things that God said you must remove you can go no further you need to put your sins to death. There's another story in the Old Testament that this, uh, this concept of putting something to death reminds me of. In Genesis 22, there's the story of Abraham and how God had given Abraham miraculously, supernaturally, a son. And that son was the son of promise. Isaac was the one through whom the blessings that God had promised to Abraham would come. And yet one day, God showed up and said, Abraham, I want you to put your son to death and Abraham had a choice at that point would he insist on hanging on to God's provision would he insist on hanging on to that thing that was an answer to prayer that thing that God promised to him that thing that he treasured or would he die to his own ideas and would he be willing to put that treasured thing literally on the altar. You see, there are times that God asks you in the pursuit of Jesus to give something up. There are times when God asks us to put things to death in our lives and in our hearts that don't make a lot of sense. Perhaps it's something that's precious to you. There may be nothing wrong with it. It may be something that's good and fine and, and perhaps even godly. And yet God says, I want it to go. And in those moments, we have a choice. Will we continue to insist on that which we say, well, there's nothing wrong with it. Well, this is a good thing. This is precious to me. This is one of my favorite things in my entire life. Or will we put our son to death in obedience to God? Perhaps it's something that is prosperous to you. I remember in high school, I began to learn that I had skills in web design. I, uh, again, there's much I could say there, but there came a point in time when God told me specifically he wanted me to give that up and follow him into the ministry. And I want you to know, it was one of the best decisions I ever made in my life to give up that talent and to put it to death for the sake of pursuing God's plan. There are thousands of teenagers that are on their way to heaven now because I was willing to put a skill aside and to put my son, so to speak, to death. 
Perhaps it's something that's promised to you, something that's coming down the pike that has been given to you. I remember there was years ago, there was a young man that called me up and said that he believed God wanted him to travel on my team. And as I talked to him, he told me, he said, now you need to understand something, Mr. Bosler, I've been promised a four-year scholarship to a Christian university through the ROTC program. And uh, he said, I just found out that if I travel with you, I will have to give up the entire scholarship. I told that young man, I said, no way, friend, you're not traveling on my team. Nuh-uh. You're not giving that up. And he said, sir, with all due respect, if God tells me to travel on the team, sir, I'm going to travel on the team. <laughs> he surrendered that scholarship. He gave it up. And he was probably one of the most effective, enjoyable, godly young men I've ever had on my team. I believe God used it to change his life. And it's because he was willing to put his sons to death the very things that have been promised but as we continue on I want you to know that we could put things to death like our sins or those things that seem good and fine in our lives really ultimately what God is after and this is where we're going to come back to our text here this morning the thing ultimately that God wants to die is you it's you you see God knows the amazing potential inside of each one of us and that's the idea of verse 24 he says except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die within that corn of wheat is amazing potential there is a supernatural potential honestly I don't think that farmers even understand the miraculous possibilities inside of a single seed yet they bank on it every year as they plant their harvest and Jesus is saying here there is an unbelievable potential inside of us. But except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and what? Die, it abideth alone. It remains nothing but potential. You see, God wants to take the potential energy, the potential life and power inside of us, and he wants to change it from potential energy into actual supernatural power. And the way that happens is just like the seed. As the seed falls into the, the ground and goes beyond the sight of man, as it seems to cease from being what it was and dies, out from that seed springs abundant and you see here as Jesus goes on he makes it clear as much as that analogy is speaking of Jesus and his death and the supernatural results and the abundant fruit that would result from his death he makes it clear he's not just speaking of his own death and the results that would follow because in verse 25 he says this he that loveth his life shall lose it and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. And I believe what he's telling us here is, listen, God wants you to let that husk be broken so the life of Jesus can bring forth much fruit. But as long as we are insisting on our lives, our preferences, that potential will remain inside the husk of our 
life. You see, friends, if you live your life for your life, you will experience nothing but your life. And you might say, well, that's all I wanted in life. All I want is to get a good job and to have a comfortable life. All I want is to be able to enjoy my grandkids and just have a, a, uh, a, a nice time here on this planet. Friends, God didn't save you to have a nice time on this planet. He didn't save you to live a comfortable life. He saved you to follow Jesus and following Jesus is a pursuit that results in death and that also results in supernatural life. But listen, friends, the person, here's a quote, the person who loves his life will lose it. It could not be otherwise, one commentator said, for to love one's life is a fundamental denial of God's sovereignty, of God's rights, and a brazen elevation of self to the highest point of one's perception and therefore is an idolatrous focus on self which is the heart of all sin. Listen, I want you to know that if you pursue your life and if you love your life, the life that you prefer, you will not even get that. You see, he says, he that loves his life will lose it. You won't even get what you're after. I don't have time to talk more about it, but in James 4, he says, from whence come wars and fightings among you, come they not hence, even of your own lusts. And that word lust is a different word for lust than we normally get. The idea of that word is that which brings you pleasure or happiness. And it's the word from which we get the English word hedonism. And I fear we have many Christians in our churches that are living their life pursuing that which brings them pleasure and not pursuing that which brings God glory and in so doing I want you to know just like James 4 tells us you will not get what you're after this verse says if you love your life you'll lose it you will not get all that you desire because God doesn't want us to live our life for self. Listen, insisting on your own preferences is sacrificing real life, the life God designed you to live for fake life. You see, friends, we must be willing to die to our self preference. If God says no, that ought to settle it. If God speaks to our heart and says, I don't care how much you like that outfit, I don't want you to wear it. If God says, I don't care how much you like that style of music, I don't want you to listen to it. If God says, I don't care how much you get into the storyline in that movie, that TV show, that podcast, I don't want you to listen to it. I want you to submit to me and trust me with it. If we insist anyway on our preference, we're just going to be nothing but a seed. Potential energy, but not actual energy. He goes on in verse number 26. He says, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. This, I believe, is not only death to self-preference, it's death to self-guidance. This is a focus on Jesus, on being where Jesus is. In other words, it's not about your 10-year plan. It's not about your plans for this coming week, next week. It's not about what you have planned, what you want to do with your future and your life. This death to self is dying to self guidance and saying, God, my life is not mine to determine. My future, my dreams are not mine to decide upon. They are yours, God. And it is a surrender to the will of God. 
not only with your preferences, but also when it comes to your plans. In verse number 27, again, I wish I could spend more time developing these. Verse 27, he says, now is my soul trouble. This is Jesus speaking. And what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? (laughs) But for this cause came I unto this hour. Jesus is saying essentially, okay, this is going to be tough. I understand that, but am I supposed to pray and ask God to get me out of this thing, to to deliver me from this death? No, this death is why I'm here. And this death to self, this, this seed falling into the ground and dying is a death that ought to involve a death to self preservation. So often we feel that it is our job to protect ourselves, that it is our job to ensure that we live in a safe environment and do safe things. But I want you to know Jesus' path was not a safe one, but we're all glad he took it. You see, our job is to submit to the will of God, not sit around biting our fingernails, hoping we don't get hurt. I appreciate folks who are willing to go into dangerous situations on the mission field. I appreciate folks who are willing to follow God, perhaps into a dangerous part of the neighborhood to win souls to Jesus Christ. I'm not saying we ought to be reckless. I'm not saying we ought to be dumb. But what I am saying is we need to surrender to God. And be willing to go where he wants us to go and do what he wants us to do. Listen, this death to self, we need to put our sins to death. There are some things that are killing you. We need to put our sons to death. Things that God is wanting you to give up that don't seem to make sense. And we need to put ourselves to death. We need to have death to self-preference, to self-guidance, and to self-preservation. And let me tell you, friends, according to this verse, when we die, then we will truly live. I remind you of Philippians 2. The Apostle Paul said to a group of people that were focused on their self more than on their Savior, he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. But remember, even in Jesus' story, that was not the end of the story. And these verses continue, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. Listen, friends, I want you to know death is not the end of the story. For many, it's the beginning. It's the beginning of a great work that God wants to do. Years ago in Pennsylvania, there was a young lady who had huge potential She was a believer and Bible college student who was training to serve the Lord and had just finished her freshman year. But she also had a huge problem. She had just slept with a guy she didn't even know. She went back to college not knowing that her problem would get even worse because she was pregnant. Shortly into the semester, she took a pregnancy test and discovered she was pregnant and her college plans were pretty much ruined. Or were they? She knew that it would be easy to hide her sin and terminate the pregnancy, but she couldn't do it. It wasn't right. It was right then and there that she made a decision of death. She called her parents and unloaded the truck about what she had done and brought her sin out into the open. Her parents forgave her and made arrangements for her to leave college and settle down in a family's home in rural Pennsylvania for the duration of the pregnancy. But she had another decision of death staring her in the face whenever she looked down at her growing womb 
What would she do with the baby? She knew that the selfish thing to do would be to keep the baby for herself. She couldn't expect her parents to support her, and she certainly didn't have the means to support the baby herself as a 19-year-old. A choice to keep the baby would be a purely selfish choice and would not have the child's best interests in mind. The child, though a product of fornication, was precious to her. She didn't want to give the baby up, but she knew that she must. She knew that God wanted her to do it, so she chose a placement family with a reputable adoption service. After nine months, she delivered a healthy baby boy and immediately was faced with another decision of death. Would she stick to her decision to give the baby up? In the hospital room, with her new baby in her arms, she died to her preferences, her own wisdom, and her own ability to hang on to any influence she might have on the child. She signed on the dotted line and gave up her rights to the child to deliver him to the adopted family and to seal the records in what was known as a closed adoption. And just like that, he was gone. 33 years later, after years of wandering and wondering, she received a letter in the mail from the adoption agency. They wanted to speak to her on the phone and asked that she call them as soon as possible. Curious, she called and they said that someone had left a message for her the message was from her son, and this is what it said. I want you to know that I'm saved and serving the Lord as an itinerant evangelist. My parents raised me for the Lord, and now I'm married and have three wonderful children. Your decision to give me up was the right decision, and God has used it for great good in my life and in my family. I've prayed about making contact for years, but haven't wanted to risk any negative repercussions in your life or family by making contact. As much as I would like to meet you, I also want you to feel the complete freedom to take what was just shared and be encouraged without making contact. If, however, you feel it would not jeopardize your current relationships, I would very much be open to the possibility of connecting. After weeping for joy, she told the agent that she would most definitely like to reconnect. They, in response, told her her son's name, Bobby Bossler. On the first Mother's Day after our reunification, I wrote this poem for my birth mom that I think summarizes her decisions of death and the results that followed. To plant a seed into the ground where I can no more view, where love's sweet gaze of tenderness is blind, tis hard to do. You find the seed beyond your grasp, beyond your loving care. You're powerless to do a thing except to kneel in prayer. You feel as if you've given up a task that should be yours. Your weakness, fears, and dark regrets as one great army war against your faith, your hope, the love that led you to this plight. And yet you know deep down inside the choice you made was right. While seed lays dormant in the ground, all hope has not been lost. For God, the Lord of life and death, has taken up your cost. The miracle within the soil is not man's task to work. And yet, without surrender's choice, the seed be lone and dark. We never know just what will come when to our will we die. But God, who raised the dead, that seed will greatly multiply. So thank you for your step of faith to plant me in the sod.
your love and your surrendered choice have brought much fruit to God. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.